0: This morning, we're going to continue in our series on the Gospel of John. Last week, I was not feeling well. Dan Winkowitz was able to come and step in. I heard he did a very good job. I also heard that he let you out early. Somebody said it's because he didn't say amen so much. (laughs) Thank you, Tyler. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) So, uh, Dan Winkle was the series last week. I called him. uh, He's in Guatemala right now. So if you want to say a prayer for him, um, he's doing real good. And uh, we're just going to get right back into the series that we're in, the Gospel of John. How many remember what we talked about two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, we talked about the first miracle of Jesus, which was what? Turning water into wine. How many enjoyed that sermon? How many? How, how good is it to know that Jesus wants to celebrate with us? Amen? Jesus wants to celebrate with us. He wants to be rejoiced with us, be happy with us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Before we get started, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank You again, again, again. Man, You're so merciful, so gracious to us. We thank You that we just have an opportunity to come and spend time in our Father's house. Lord, I thank You that we come and get to come and spend time with family. Lord, I pray over the message this morning that it wouldn't be my words but your words, not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would just move in and through us. Lord, I thank you and praise you that those who are here would be impacted by it. Those who are listening on podcast would be impacted by the Word of God. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So two weeks ago we got into the first miracle of Jesus, turning water into wine, and we had a we had a really Great discussion of all that. I think it caused a lot of conversations and, and that's always a very good thing. But it leads us to verse 11 of John chapter 2. Remember now that Jesus has just turned water into wine, his first miracle. And John chapter 2 verse 11 says this, this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. Say, the disciples believed in Him. See, they had believed in Him before, but now their faith was deepened. Now they'd seen Jesus do this miracle. Their faith was deepened and and re-expressed, right? So how often does that happen for us? Where we see God do something and, and it deepens our faith, right? How many can relate to that? God does something in your life, and it was unexpected. You, you didn't know it was coming, but it happened. You saw God move, and it deepens our relationship with Him. It deepens our trust in Him, our faith in Him, right? Now, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The Gospel of John is not just a book of facts, but it talks about who Jesus is. It talks about His character, His attributes. Amen? If the first miracle shows that He wants to celebrate with us, What happens next shows how Jesus feels about injustice. How does Jesus feel about injustice? There's, how many can admit, there's injustice in this world? There's injustice in this world. So I want to look at John chapter 2 verse 13. It says this. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. How many know that this? we're going to talk this morning about cleansing the temple? Are you excited? Are you sure? Two weeks ago, we talked about making water to wine. We had a good time with that, right? That was a fun one. How many want to go back to the fun one? No? Okay, we're going to go to this one. Jesus cleansing the temple. The Passover of the Jews was at the hand. What was the Passover? The Passover was perhaps the busiest, if not the busiest, time in Jerusalem. It's estimated. How many people do you think came to Jerusalem during Passover? Mike, what do you think? Thousands? 2.25 million people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 2.25 million people would fill the city with a goal of getting to the temple. A goal of meeting with God. It was the time, this this was a time, the Passover was a time of remembrance. How many remember why they celebrate Passover? Remember when they were in, in Egypt? And Moses helped lead them out of Egypt by the power of God. And so the Jews were held in captivity. They were made into slaves. And God delivered them out of Egypt. Amen? Amen. Now they had Jerusalem. And this is a time that they as a people remembered what they had been through. They remembered what they had been through. In coming to Jerusalem, their intent, their their sole intent, was to be near the presence of God. The temple... This holy place where the presence of God was supposed to be. They went to meet in the Old Testament. They would have said, we want to experience the presence of Yahweh. We want to experience what we would say the presence of God. How many want to experience the presence of God? I do. How many experienced the presence of God this morning? I did. You say, Pastor David, I didn't feel it. We'll pray for you right now. Amen. In the Old Testament, God established a place where his presence would be, right? So we have what's known as the tabernacle, where the presence of God was. We have what's known as the temple. What we're going to talk about, the temple we're talking about here is actually referred to as the second temple, and we're going to get into what that is later on. We see that Jesus goes to the temple and he finds those who are selling animals and he finds money changers there. Now, in order to understand the context of what's happening here, how many, how many enjoy knowing the context? I want to know what's happening here. We can't just read the Bible. We have to read the Bible. Amen? Amen. we got to dig a little bit. We have to look at Jewish history. The Jews followed the law. The law it was the first five books of the Old Testament, which is known as the what? Torah, right? Those are books written by Moses. So the first five books of the Bible is is known as the Torah. And they followed the law given from God through Moses. Amen? But they also followed something else called oral tradition. Now, those oral traditions were put together around 200 AD. They were put together into what's known as the Talmud. Say Talmud. 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 We're going to learn some interesting words today. These oral traditions, they went beyond the original law. They went beyond the law and, and, and throughout the generations, more and more was added to it, right? In Judaism, they have, it's, it, the Talmud. So, uh, these are different words, but you have the Talmud and the Talmud is a collection of what's called the Mishnah and the Gevada. How many are saying this makes sense? No, it doesn't. Okay. So you have the, the Mishnah and the Gemara. So the Mishnah is kind of more of these uh, instructions, and the Gemara is the kind of the way to apply and discuss the instructions that were given. So even today, you have uh, uh, Jewish rabbis that will argue and discuss and go over this Talmud. It's something of Talmudic importance, or something like that is what they'll say. Uh, it's important to know... That what the people are doing here, those who are selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and the money changers, what they're doing here was not wrong. What they're doing here was not wrong. In fact, it was commanded of them to do this. As long, listen to this, as long as they were doing it the right way. This was not, what they were doing was not wrong, as long as they were doing it the right way. Now, Selling the animals, let's take a look at this one by one. Selling the animals. Uh, this was done to ensure quality. Why? Because when people came to the temple, they brought their sacrifice. Okay? This was done to ensure good quality. So one of the requirements of coming during Passover, they'd bring a sacrifice. The fat sacrifice listen to this carefully was to be the best and the first of what you had. It's what the Bible refers to as first fruits. Say, say it with me, first fruits. How many know that God wants you to bring your very best? Amen? We don't talk about this too much today. And honestly, we don't talk about it a lot in this church. Cause whenever we talk about first fruits and things like that, we, we automatically think of money, right? People think, okay, well, we're talking about money. We're not talking about money. When it comes to first fruits, God wants us to give our very best. Could it include money? Sure. But it doesn't necessarily have to be money. God doesn't want your last and worst. Amen? I know it's going to get real quiet here this morning. God doesn't want your last and worst. He wants your first and best. Amen? Come on, it's going to be 20 minutes of amens if you don't... And here's why. He asked that you have faith in giving your first and your best. There was a, one pastor who had an experience of a man who wanted to donate a couch to the church. How many ever donated something to the church before? That's good. If you have, that's good, right? Uh, when this man wanted to donate this couch, the pastor had a few questions for him. And these were interesting questions. So first question was, was it new? The man said, well, no. Second question was, uh, so, okay, so you just got rid of the new one and now you want to give me your old couch. The man said, well, yeah. <laughs> okay, does it have all of its cushions? The man said, no. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, let me ask you, do you have a cat? And the man said, yes. Did the cat ever sleep on the couch? Yeah. Did the cat ever pee on the couch? Yeah. So what you're telling me is that you want to give me your cushionless cat pee couch as your offering cut to God. Mm, come on. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you. Pastor said what what I would tell anybody to say. Thanks, but no. God doesn't want your last and worst. He wants your first and best. Amen. He wants your first and best. Don't give me your cat pee couch. I don't want that. Amen. God doesn't. Hey, listen, let's say it this way. God doesn't want your junk. Oh, oh, God doesn't want your junk. Well, this is just what I'll, I'll give to the Lord. That speaks to our hearts. The first fruits, giving our first and best speaks to our heart. Lord, I'm going to give you my best, and I'm going to have faith that, that you take care of me. I'm going to give you my first and my best. Amen. We want to give God. God doesn't want your junk. Amen? Amen. People say, well, they should just be happy. All right? I mean that's what the, they should just be happy. They should be just happy to get it. We're not talking about giving to people here. We're talking about what you give to God. A lot of times, what we give to people is our expression of what we give to God. So why aren't we giving God our very best? We want to make sure that whenever we give to God, we're giving our very best. One pastor said it this way, God gave His very best, so why would I give less than mine? Amen? Amen. Come on. I'm preaching better than you're responding here. This is supposed to be the essence of what's happening at the temple. This supposed to be the essence of it—that they're bringing their first and their best. But here's what was happening instead. So here's what would happen: they would go to the temple, and they would bring their sacrifice. Okay, he would bring it to be inspected. How many ever brought something to Goodwill? That if you bring something to Goodwill, they inspect it, right? They don't want your junk either. They inspect it. They don't want dirty, nasty, cruddy cat pee couch. They don't want that, right? Right? They inspect it. They reject it if they, if it's not good enough, right? Come on, we don't want to be spreading diseases and stuff. It's just how it goes. So here's what happens. So they bring the sacrifice to the temple to be inspected, to make sure it's it's the best. Okay, The seller would then tell him it's not good enough. It's not good enough, but I'll tell you what, I'll buy it from you. Well, how much are you going to give me for it? Well, probably like five cents on the dollar. I mean, it's not good enough. So I'll give you a little bit of money for this, but just so you know, there's some good sacrificial animals over here. There's some really good oxen and sheep and pigeons. Well, how much are those? Well, those are going to be about a $1,000. So the person, of course, when they get to the temple, they're in Jerusalem, they're at Passover, they're at the temple, and now, of course... How many ever been to, like, this is a great analogy that one pastor used. How many ever been to an amusement park? And you go in the doors and you go to, to like, get a pop or something, and the pop is $20. <laughs> right? Like, man, I'm just thirsty. But you don't have a choice. Unless you want to drink the salt or the, the chlorinated water or whatever coming out of the pool, you got to pay the prices, right? You're there. So people felt obligated now to buy the sacrifice because that's what was required of them. So the person would sell their animal to the person for five cents on the dollar. They'd pay a thousand dollars for the new sacrifice. And now what happens is they leave and the seller would bring the bad sacrifice, quote unquote, over to the good side and sell that one for a huge markup. It was crooked. Okay, this, this, this is going to get into business spiritual ethics. How many know it's not bad to make money? It's not bad. God wants you to prosper. Amen. Amen. God does. God, God wants you to do well, but he doesn't want you to be a crook. Amen. There's what's known as business principles. And then there's what's known as kingdom principles. And we want to, if you run a business or if, you're, or if you're buying and selling things, you want to do that according to kingdom principles. You want to live according to the Bible. Amen. So then he would sell the animal at a huge markup. He'd take the man's animal into stock, he'd, he'd sell it for a high profit. This was injustice. And this is what was happening at the temple. Now, then we get into there's two groups we have the sellers. And then we have the money changers. The money changers. Who were the money changers? You know, I read this story for years and years and years. And not one time did I question, who are the money changers? You ever think about, who? I mean, who are we talking about here? Who are the money changers? Understand that if you have 2.25 million people coming into one spot, they're coming from different areas of the world. They're coming from everywhere. If you lived within 15 miles of the city and you were a male, then you were required to pay two days tax. Two day tax. That means two of your work days, you would bring into the temple, and they would tax you. So it was called what was known as the temple tax. This was real. So people would bring different currency from from all over, and it was the money changer's job to convert it into the coin they wanted to use. It was the money changers' job to, re, to, to convert it. But again, this system was used to scam people. So you'd bring your currency, and how many, how many have some money here today? How many got money? I don't have any money on me. How many got cash on them? Anybody got cash on them? Ooh, Doreen does. I'll, I'll just take what you got, thank you. This is, this is your first fruits, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so so this is seven dollars here and so uh watch i'm gonna make your seven dollars disappear Are you ready yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you got the seven dollars here and here's what happens so you go to exchange the currency and they say no 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 we can't we can't take that money um tell you what you can exchange this money for one of our pieces of money And now I can charge you whatever I want and make as much money as possible. Thank you very much. To make as much money as possible while sitting there scamming people. And here's the kicker. The profit wasn't going to just the sellers and it wasn't going to just the money changers. The profit was going to the religious leaders. And this is where it gets really bad. The religious leaders are the ones who set them up there. So there are pe- these are the people that Jesus runs into at the temple. Bad people. In his father's house they were cheating people out of money. In his this you know there's some Christians that would say, "Well, this is why we don't talk about money." This is why churches shouldn't talk about money. No, we should talk about being responsible and 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 good. Spiritual givers. Amen. We should talk about first fruits. We should talk about giving our very best. But we want to, we, we have a full understanding as the leadership of this church that we're held accountable for what God gives us through the church. Amen. Amen. We have to be. We're held accountable for it. Some places aren't. We have to be. What comes next? So he, Jesus, Jesus experiences. Those sellers and the money changers. What comes next is an act that stuns a lot of people. Uh, it's, It's interesting because if they fail to understand this, they fail to understand the character of Jesus. If they fail to understand this, they fail to understand his character. Jesus will not stand for what's happening here. He won't stand for it. And so here's what happens. Go to the next slide. It says this, And making a whip of cords... He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins. He starts flipping over the tables. He starts flipping over the cash registers, right? All of the coins are the money changers and overturn their tables. And he's, he told those who sold the pitches, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for, the, for his father's house consumed him. How many have ever been zealous about something? Amen. Mary's zealous right now. Hallelujah. Zeal consumed him. He started flipping over the tables and flipping over the, the, the cash registers and, 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 and he had the, he had the whip and Indiana Jones was, right? Come on. Here's the thing. Some people call this the temple tantrum. Not a temper tantrum, the temple tantrum. But let's think about this for a minute. The temple tantrum. Jesus saw all this happening. And I don't know how long it takes to make a whip of cords, but it probably takes a little bit of time. Because Jesus, it says that he, after making a whip of cords... Jesus sees what's happening here, and he comes and he goes. All right, well, let me get my materials together to make a whip. He's sitting there and he's probably doing a braid of some sort. And he's making making this whip and thinking, man, they're robbing my people. They're robbing the people that come to visit my father. And as I don't know how long it takes, but it probably takes a little bit of time, right? he's sitting there thinking about this, and I can imagine that as he's thinking about it, he goes, okay, how am I going to do this? I got it. He starts driving them out of the temple. I wish I had a bullwhip today. Man. (laughs) Doug, you wish I had a bullwhip too? Come on. Woo! I'm going to take my belt and... (laughs) All right, <laughs> it would be a fun sermon, man. That would be like the chainsaw sermon. That was a good one, too. He starts whipping the people. Get out of here. Zeal for the house of God. You won't make my father's house a house of trade. Are you kidding me? And he's not talking about buying and selling here. He's not talking about what they were supposed to be doing. Because there were supposed to be money changers there. There were supposed to be those selling sacrifices in the temple. What they were not supposed to be doing was robbing God's people. Amen? And then he does this. I love this. During Passover, there is what's known as removing the leaven from your house. The God's word required the Jews to remove leaven from their house. What was leaven? Pastor David, what does that mean? What's leaven? Leaven, in case, how many know what leaven is? Yeah, it's, it's yeast, right? There's a leavening agent. It causes bread to rise. Okay. Leaven symbolizes sin that defiles a believer and disrupts the worship of God. This is what leaven symbolizes. To remove leaven was an act in the natural to depict the spiritual. To remove leaven out of your house was to remove sin. To remove leaven was to remove sin. You wanted to clean your house inside and out. Amen? How many know sometimes, sometimes God wants us to clean our house? God wants us to remove the leaven from our lives. Amen? This is what Jesus is doing here. When Jesus goes after them with a whip, when he starts, man, changing, the throwing over the tables and money changers, they're running and they're moving, and he's removing the leaven. He's removing the sin from his father's house. It's the symbolic act that signifies the deeper truth that Jesus came to clean your house. Amen? Come on, at the moment, He was not displaying a tantrum. He was not displaying violence. He was displaying the authority of God. Amen? We want the authority of God to rule and reigns in our lives. Sometimes we just need to let Jesus come in and clean our house. John 2 and verse 18 says this. So the Jews said to him, they see all this stuff happen. They say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Here's what they're saying. Jesus, you did all this. We'd like to see a miracle. What sign do you show us, Jesus, for doing all these things? Show us a sign. Show us a sign, and then we will believe. Jesus just exercised his authority, and they want to see a miracle. Show us a sign. They didn't grasp the gravity of what had just happened. They demanded to see a miracle. Jesus responded to this. He says, you want to see a miracle? Listen to this. Go to the next slide. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Destroy this temple, in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he wasn't talking about that temple, he was talking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Jews scoffed at him. He says, you want to see a miracle? Destroy this temple. There's some theologians that say he probably probably gestured to himself. You want to see a miracle? Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. There's also an aspect in here where the Bible talks about God raising Jesus from the dead and the Holy Spirit raising Jesus from the dead and Jesus saying here that I will raise myself from the dead. There's an aspect again of the Trinity. There's some powerful stuff when you start digging into the Bible. Amen? You take this 46 years to build this temple. Uh, Interesting thing about this temple. This was called the second temple. They had been building it for 46 years. And by the way, it wouldn't be done for another 20. It wouldn't be done, completed, for another 20. There's also some people that called this Herod's temple. And that he was pushing the plans for it. It wouldn't be done for another 20 years. How many know it's, it's kind of interesting because they probably used the funds that they scammed from people to build the temple? They probably used the funds they scammed from people to build the temple. Uh, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but this is interesting. Theologians uh, estimate that the temple was finally finished around 66 or 67 A.D., How many are familiar with Jewish history at all? In 70 A.D., the temple burned down. They put all that time, they've scammed all those people to build it out fully. They had it for three or four years, and the whole thing gets burned down. Be careful with what God entrusts to you. Amen. We have to be careful with what God entrusts to us. John 2, 23 says this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs of what he was doing. Many believed because they saw the signs. Many believed. they said, oh, man, I saw the signs. I believe in him. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Why not? Jesus did not entrust himself to to, to these people. They believed in him, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Here's what this is saying. He knew that their faith was immature. Why? Because it was only after a sign, only after a miracle. Lord, just just show me a sign and then I'll believe. Just show me a sign. Show me something and then I'll believe. That is immature faith. God wants deep faith. Amen? Lord, just show me a sign. Show me something and then I'll believe. That's immature faith. Deep faith says, Lord, no matter what happens in my life. Lord, no matter what circumstance I'm going through, no matter what storm comes my way, no matter what chaos overtakes me, Lord, I know that You're my anchor. That's deep faith, right? Lord, no matter what happens, if I don't see a sign for 20 years, You're still on the throne. You still reign high. You still died for me on the cross. You still rose from the dead. It doesn't matter if I haven't seen a sign in a long time. I have the deep faith that says, Jesus is still on the throne. Amen? Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because, because what they had was baby faith. This faith it needs to see signs all the time. One, mature faith. Faith in God isn't based on hype. Come on, it's not based on hype. It's anchored in the, in the deepest moments of your life. If you have faith there you will see mountains move on your behalf. Man, I'm telling you. That's powerful faith right there. So we see now here what Jesus did at the temple. But it doesn't end there. Because here's the interesting thing. In the narrative of John, this was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Three years later, we get into the book of Mark. And the book of Mark shows Jesus at the end of his ministry. In fact, just after Palm Sunday, the beginning of Passion Week, the end of his life, we see this happen in Mark eleven fifteen. 15. It says this. Listen to this. It's, it's interesting because keep in mind, this is not the same account as in John. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. This is just after, by the way, that he came in on the colt. On Palm Sunday, they said, Hallelujah, right? Amen. The next day, they come to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and begins to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. This is three years later, and he comes and does almost the very same thing. There's no whip mentioned here. Maybe he just said that, man. Come on. I like that. I don't need a whip now. I'll take you all on. All right? He begins to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. They're doing the same stuff they were doing three years ago but there was something different about this too. Go to the next slide. It says this, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, listen to this carefully, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Now, if we just read this at face value, we go, wow, that sounds pretty good. But What does it mean? In order to explain what this means, I want to take a look at the temple. Go to the next slide. This is a construction of what is the second temple. Now, I don't have a pointer thing, so I'm just going to use my finger. This is my pointer. Amen. So, the tall area there was what's known as the Holy of Holies. So, you have here the temple, you have the inner court. Thank you. You have the inner court. And then you have the outer court. Now, if you were a religious leader, or if you were a priest, you would be allowed into the Holy of Holies. If you were a religious leader, you were maybe allowed into the inner courts. If you were a woman or a child, then most times you were pushed to the outer courts. These areas here were where they placed the the, the Jews who were sick. If they had leprosy and whatnot. Okay, so do we understand that? This is, Jesus, Jesus, one, go back to the, uh, go back to the first slide. Or not the first slide, the last slide. He says this, Is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Jesus isn't just speaking poetically here. Jesus is speaking specifically here. Go, go to the next slide. We're gonna stay here. So you have, the Holy of Holies. You have the inner court. You have the outer court. This is the temple of Jerusalem. This is the temple of God. The temple was constructed in a specific way. On the outskirts of the the temple, on the outskirts of the temple, there was a place called, listen to this, are you ready for it? There was a place called the house of prayer for all nations. This is what Jesus is talking about specifically. Not just poetically, specifically. Go to the next slide. This is the temple as it would have been back in the day. The back wall here, right up there, is what's known today as the Wailing Wall. It's the Western Wall, it's the one of the few places that are still standing after the fire. So you have the Holy of Holies, the inner court, the outer court, and then you have this this place of prayer for all the nations. What, What was this? The house of prayer for all nations. This was right around here. It was also known by another name. The court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles. Three years later, and this is where the crooks set up their business. At the court of the Gentiles. You say, Pastor David, what, what, what's the difference? What's, I mean, what, what is the, what's the relevance here? These were people, listen to this, these were people who traveled hundreds of, Or thousands of miles because they heard about the presence of God. These are people who heard that we've been hearing this stuff about this Yahweh and this God, and and, and we want to we want to get there, we want to experience His presence. And they, they, they travel, they bring their families, they bring animals, they bring everything, they make this long trip, they get there, and when they attempt to get close to God, They're shuffled into a small area where nothing happens. The analogy one pastor uses shows just how wrong this is. I'm going to tweak it to our circumstances here. Imagine that you've never been to a church. Never been to our church. You've never been to our church, but you keep hearing about God. How many here, uh, it's, it's... Maybe your first time, second time. I know there's some new, pe- new faces here. There's, there's some people who would be your, maybe his first time here. You say, I never heard about God, but you decide that you want to hear about God. And so you come to a service of ours. You travel from Spirit Lake or Emmitsburg. You say, I heard there's something powerful happened at this church. And so I want to experience it. You come to the church and, and, and you're at the door. And we have, we have a few people out there asking, you know, if you're here for the first time. And so, uh, so this person says, are you here for the first time? And you say, yes. And you say, okay, you're going to need to go around back. You're, you're going to need to go around the back. Now, when you get to the back door, there's a, a door there. Um, we'll, let some, we'll have somebody let you in and we're going to take you down to the kitchen. We're going to take you down to the kitchen and we're just going to have you stand there. And, and while you're there, uh, you know, just, just try to experience worship the best you can. And just try to hear the message of God the best you can. Oh, I see that you brought your own Bible with you. Well, that's a very good Bible, but that's not the CGA official Bible. So, we're gonna, we're, I'll, I'll tell you what, we're gonna buy your Bible from you. Yep, $2. Yep, and we'll give you $2 for it. Oh, the cost of our Bible? Only $500. Yep. Here you go. Here's the Bible. Oh, by the way, just so you know, there's a $50 fee per person. I see it's you, your wife, two kids. $200. Now just just wait here and experience it. By the way, if you decide to convert, then next week you can be in the service. If you don't convert, then we don't care. This is what was happening here. This is what was happening here. These people come, they come. They're pushed. They, they try to get into the temple and they're pushed to the court of the Gentiles, this place of prayer for all the nations. This is what makes Jesus so angry. This is what makes Jesus so upset. Are you kidding me? You, you didn't want to deal with the crooks on your side so you pushed them over to the Gentiles? The very people that we're trying to get converted, the very people that we're trying to reach for Christ... The very people, they are lost. And their first introduction to God is getting ripped off. Are you kidding me? No wonder Jesus is so upset. No wonder He's so angry. Why? Why? Because the heart of Jesus is for those who are lost. And it's where our hearts should be too. Our hearts should be for those who are lost. Pastor David, why should our hearts be there? Because once we were far removed from the presence of God, we would have been pushed right there, having no way to get as close to the presence of God as possible. It was only by His grace and mercy that we were allowed into His presence. Amen? We were allowed to experience the glory, listen to this, of our Father's house. Man, I love that. The last verse of John 2 says that Jesus knew what was in man. It means this, He knew what was in their hearts. He knew what their thoughts were. What's in your heart this morning? What's in your heart this morning? Are you thinking about you and what you can get? What what can I get from God today? Are you thinking about those who are lost in your life? Are you thinking about those who are lost in your life? How can you reach the lost in your life? You see, Jesus' anger wasn't directed at the lost and the Gentiles. It was directed at the religious leaders. It was directed at the religious leaders who would allow the Gentiles to be conned and scammed. He wanted the Gentiles to know the presence of the Father. The character of Christ. When we talk about who Christ is, He cares about people. And He cares about the lost. Amen? Amen. I want to be known as a Christian and as a pastor that has the character of Christ. I don't know about you, I do. I want this church, I want us to be known as having the character of Christ, as having compassion for the lost and welcoming people to experience our Father's house. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the message this morning. Lord, I pray that even as we go out of here, we would start to see those who need to be welcomed into our Father's house. Lord, please give us your heart for the lost. Give us the compassion for people. There's some people here that, that love people. I, there's some people within this family that are just so compassionate. Lord, that, that, that would become infectious among us. Lord, I thank You for speaking to us today. For speaking Your heart to us. Lord, I pray that this, this week as we go into doing all the things that we have to do, whether it's work or school or just life, Lord, that You would keep in the front of our minds Your heart for the lost. Compassion for people. Lord, I pray over each person here today. Lord, that you would bless them, that you would keep them. Lord, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.